Blog Talk Radio. Conference USA, conference play is heating up, and we are the only podcast, the only, Dave, the only podcast in the world that talks Conference USA basketball. What's going on, guys? It's your boy Alex Nicholas out here live in El Paso, Texas. Got my man Dave West out there in Birmingham, Alabama on the live. Dave, what's going on, partner? Even though we are the only, there could be like 50, and we'd still be the GOAT of CUSA Hoopcast or podcast in general. I can't disagree with that. and I'm, not, I'm a humble guy, but, yeah, man, we we on some good shit. But <laughs> anyways, conference <laughs> play, in the heat of conference play, some teams starting to show their proverbial weaknesses. One, one team particular showing that, they're the team to beat, and we got a whole bunch of other in between. So let's get going on a week four review. As like I mentioned, there's there's certain teams that are starting to tank, certain teams that are starting to show their true colors, and there's just one team, and that's where we're going to start here with Middle Tennessee, another dominating weekend, the only undefeated team in the conference. This weekend was a, another big time weekend for them, where they just continue to to do the things we expect with their big three. Uh, like you mentioned here, Dave, on your notes, they have a legitimate shot at running the Conference USA table. And I don't think there's any team that's close. In the past, we've had these 1A, 1B kind of contenders at this point. But it's been probably since the Memphis days, definitely not in this new era of Conference USA, where we've seen a team just being able to handle business week in and week out, game to game, on the road. And not only that, just being the way that they're doing it, it's just really impressive. And I think if you're that four, well, obviously I'm looking ahead here, but if you're that five, six, even down to a three seed in the NCAA tournament, if you peg yourself in that spot, you don't want to get matched up with Middle Tennessee, man, at all. Nah, man, they're, they're built like a power, power conference team. Um, they're deep, and they have uh, good size at every position. And, and like it, 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 for the people out there who have listened to us for the past, you know, six, seven weeks or whatever – um, we this is not something that we've been uh, you know, agreeing on or saying. We, we didn't say Middle Tennessee was going to run the slate, but it's something that we have trended towards lately. I mean, you, if you look at their first seven CUSA games, you know, home and away games, they've played four away and three, uh, three home. They've held four opponents of those seven under 60 points. Defense travels. It's certainly going to travel on the conference oh. USA. And and I wrote last week, uh, you know, touching on some of the uh, potential player of the year candidates. I mean, how is Conference USA going uh, to tell Jacory Williams because he's a, a transfer, a one-year player, that he's not the best player and he's not the player of the year? You tell me how they're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, that's that is kind of the question that, that, that what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we we're just probably, I think it was our first discussion when we we're talking about player of the year and where that could become a factor, but you, there, there's no argument against that. I mean, this guy is really turned this, in my opinion, he's turned middle Tennessee into a really, really good mid major team into a team that can win a couple of games in the, in the NCAA tournament. I'm, looking way ahead because I think right now Middle Tennessee is head and shoulders above everybody in terms of, like you mentioned, defense, depth. And you now you plug in a, a legitimate star like Ja'Cory Williams. And I think I told somebody from Minor, uh, Minor Illustrated, I said, if you put Ja'Cory Williams in the ACC, you put Ja'Cory Williams in the Pac-12, he could be teetering possibly, now possibly on a lottery pick because he's in those conferences making that noise. But since he's in Conference USA, 
that pro prospect pro prospects, I guess if you could say, are definitely hidden on a talent like him. But there's no doubt that this Middle Tennessee State team, it, it, with Jacory Williams and the way that he's been playing, I mean, I don't think you can. There's no way you can deny it. And we've talked a whole bunch about Igor Kolachov, but, I mean, who else do you give it to if it's not Jacory Williams, at least at this point in the year? It, it would have to be Eric McCree, and that's going to play itself out this week and to kind of segue into our next team, La Tech. And, and today in my notes, I, I, I put the, 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 the title, you know, the subtitle of is Tech a contender or a pretender? Tech's got some wins. You know, they're second in the standings right now, um, and I commend them for so. But they're about to go on that treacherous UAB and Middle Tennessee run. If they go 0-2 here, I mean, they're right back as a 4, 5, 6, you know, in, in a standings type of team. So to, to kind of to talk more about, you know, who could potentially – uh, compete with Ja'Cory Williams for player of the year, it would be Eric McCree because he's having that kind of season. Um, and he's outstanding. He's nearly averaging a double-double, and he can he, he can extend teams out from beyond the, beyond the arc. And Lottex's defense has been fantastic. And not only do you have McCree, but you also have the potential. I, I don't want to say potential because I think at this point he may be running away with it, but the Quan Bracey picked up his, I believe it's his second straight Conference USA Freshman of the Week award. 12 assists and combined during this weekend. And we've said it, as, as he goes, as, as he goes in terms of, a, in terms of, of assists and, and making things, it just makes things a lot easier for LaTeX athletes. You don't have to have a guy like Eric McCree creating his own shot or Jacoby Boykin creating his own shot. When you have a guy like Bracey running the show, everything really flows and it makes that Louisiana Tech team just so hard to defend. And not only that, I mean, they are one of the top block, uh, shot-blocking teams behind UAB in the league, in my opinion. Stats will, will definitely will back that up. But, I mean, this is a team I still think they're a contender, but I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but they're going to go as Daquan Bracey goes. And if he continues to have this upper echelon play a point guard where he is a contender for, for uh, Conference USA freshman year, and there's no drop-off week to week, I think this Louisiana Tech team is right there, possibly in that three spot, right behind UAB, but can certainly challenge the UABs and Middle Tennessee's in this world. Now, moving on to another team that a couple weeks ago, I know I was I was drinking the rice Kool Aid. I had three ice cubes in it, and I was chugging that motherfucker. But the rice <laughs> kind of hit the wall, man. They've hit the wall, and you made a good point here in your notes. Their lack of inside presence now. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was me or you, one of us were saying that that may have not been a factor, but I think teams are starting to figure out how to at least contain Evans and, and Kolachov and, and, and turn that into an actual weakness where that's something Rice can't go to. Now, that's on both ends of the floor. Do you think that teams are starting to figure out how to slow those two down and, and make that weakness become an actual weakness in terms of them falling behind in leads and not playing up to where we saw them a couple weeks ago? It, it's 100% the factor why they're not going to be a top three team in this league uh, uh, this year. And I, and I almost thought they could have. I thought they could have shot their way into it. But it's going to be the reason why. When you've got Andrew Drone and Austin Meyer, two guys who look like could, could, could be doing altar service the next day <laughs> at the local church, like these, these, these guys just – I mean, they're they're not going to compete with the um, Tosin Mahinsies, Corey Williams, you know, you know, William Lee's, Chris Coakley's. They're not going to compete with those guys night in, night out in the paint. And with the right kind of scheming and the right coaching uh, from the opposing teams, they they get shut down. I mean, that's why they went to Southern Miss and and 
I mean, they, they, they won 61-58, but they scored, I think, in 61 points at, at Southern Miss. I mean, and that was a game that Carrie Price didn't even play in. If, if, you're, if, you, if you can't perform better than that in Reed Coliseum, where there's probably seven people there at best, then I, I mean, you, you're you're in, yeah, you're in for some hard, you know, hard, hard uh, uh, road trips coming up. I mean, but um, I still hold hope for them because they really can shoot their way into to a lot of wins. So I still think they're going to be in that four, five, six range as far as seeding at the end uh, for the tournament. But um, it's it's I mean it's 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 a glaring weakness for them the interior play, but. But you know, Igor's keeping himself in that, that that conversation for Player of the Year. He had 16 points and 13 rebounds at Southern Miss. Man, what an incredible athlete! Another team that's sort of on the ropes per se here early, and I, I personally, I think it's because of what they're missing, and that's looking at Old Dominion and without Brandon Smith and, and how they just struggled the past couple of games. There's no doubt about that, but. You look at, at, at they're, they're still playing their style of game per se. You know, they, they give up 75 to Louisiana Tech. Marshall, we, or excuse me, Charlotte, we know we're going to put up points, hold them into the low 70s. Despite these two losses that were semi close, is there anything to build on for Old Dominion despite not having Brandon Smith? And even, you know, with a guy like Zoran Talley, who you mentioned here, he's putting up numbers that could garner him some awards at the end of the year. Yeah, and the thing about Brandon Stiff is it's, it's not like the point production that you miss from him. What you miss from Brandon Stiff is stuff that doesn't always get on the stat sheet. Some of it is, but it's the altered shots. It's the offensive rebounds, um, you know, second chance, chance points. He's just an all-around very complete player, and he's a presence in the paint. He's, he's very smart. He rarely gets in foul trouble. So when he's not there, it puts a lot of pressure on Old Dominion, I mean, there's, I mean, they're not a kind of team that you want to go in that, that's going to survive, you know, getting one shot done throughout the game. Like, they're going to need another opportunity off an offensive rebound. They're just not efficient enough to live off that kind of stuff. But it, it, what it has done, assuming Brandon does come back toward the end of the year, it's given guys like Zoran Talley, like you mentioned, who could be, you know, you know sixth man of the year, the way he's produced, you know, recently – and just let some of the younger guys, uh, the, the point guard Ahmad Caver, I mean, he had 25 points at Charlotte. It, uh, that, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, they, they need a guy like that um, at the guard position. That's something they've missed sorely since losing Trey Freeman and Aaron Baycoat. So, um, yeah, they're, they're reeling right now. But, I mean, they're going to stay above water because of the way they play defense. But, I mean, they've all but just – if Brandon's going to continue to be out, I mean, they've all but – you know, knock themselves out of a uh, top four um, spot in the conference standing at the end of the year. Unfortunate for a team that was looking like they could definitely be a factor in that top four, but you know how the error of margin is when you lose a player, particularly at this mid-major level. Oh, I just sound like Tim Floyd right there. Jesus Christ, let me drink something and get no, that baby. out of my mouth. But. <laughs> I'm like, sound like UAB, baby. <laughs> Moving on to a team that was, I felt they were fully exposed by a team that that wasn't even good. I'm talking about UTSA getting exposed by a UTEP team that just has not been good defensively. But we've talked about it over the past couple of weeks, and, and it, UTSA has been able to slide by it because they were they've been able to defend well. They're great rebounding, and they're just a smart basketball team. But for the first time in what it seems like a while, at least during conference play, when the shots didn't fall, 
nothing went UTSA's uh, nothing went UTSA's way, and I think UTEP has a hand in it. Number one, the only reason why is because UTEP. Tim Floyd's good at taking out players, but particularly he took out Jeff Beverly. And what he did was take Jeff Beverly out by driving him offensively, talking with Paul Thomas after the game. The game plan was to get Jeff Beverly in foul trouble. Now, the first game, UTEP was able to hold him in check. Now, they didn't get him in foul trouble. He was the one of six on the field. But UTEP continually takes Jeff Beverly, and Jeff Beverly is a really good athlete, but he was getting winded. I noticed late in the second half, some of those jump shots were coming up short. He just stopped shooting. He started deferring. UTSA's lack of that consistent score is definitely going to hurt them. And I know the guy that was playing really well during the, during the previews was that Giovanni uh, Niacolo, or Niocolo. It spelled like my last name, but I'm murdering his name. But either way, he came in at a really nice stretch in terms of scoring. Yeah. And, you know, he played well early on in the year, but – you know, UTSA's offense was ran very well against UTEP. They started 4-16 from the field. 12 of those first 16 shots were wide open looks that just hit iron. Now, they just do not have those consistent shot makers. But offensively, I really like Steve Henson's system. It's, a, it's very motion-oriented, so much ball movement so many ball screens, you don't see that many dribble drives on there. And, and that's tailored to what their personnel is. But when they get shot makers, and I've been saying this with Steve Henson, give them a couple of recruiting classes, get them a shot maker too. This is a UTSA team that can overcome these sort of nights where nobody's hitting, where at least one can hit. And, and I've, I've kind of said it to myself, if UTSA shot at least 40% in that game, that's a seven-point ball game against UTEP in the, in the last seven minutes. I don't think it was so much as good as UTEP was, just as, as things just didn't go UTSA's way. And that lack of score exposed that to the team. That's something that really, really is going to be have to be addressed with recruiting with Steve Henson because there's really nothing they can do right now. And I think you'll kind of see UTSA. They'll still get a couple wins. You're not. They're not supposed to. I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe an old Dominion. Later in the year, uh, one of those type of games, I'm not saying a, a Middle Tennessee or a UAB, but that lack of offensive firepower is going to hurt the roadrunners, you know, coming into really what's going to be an important part for them to stay and to get a decent seed here in the Conference USA Tournament. So coming up here in a couple of minutes, we actually have Mark Adams. If you guys follow until you know Mark Adams is kind of like the godfather of mid-major hoops. He's the voice of mid-major hoops, and we're going to have a part here for a minute. But, <laughs> but real quick, Dave, uh, before we get into the Homer area here where, where you talk UAB and I'll talk you said just give me a kind of a quick rundown on wh- what the Blazers did this week and just a little quick review on them. We've got about a minute or so before Mark shows up here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag of results that we saw this weekend. I know it's terrible, and I could sit here and bash on them for losing to Florida International it was just not a great team at all. But they had two games where they shot um, some of the best percentages on the floor than they have all year. If I'm not mistaken, it was the two of the top three uh, after the Stephen F. Austin game. It, they had some really good moments. But it, it's, it's for, for, when you spoke about this earlier, with, in, in, in the mid-major level and in the way UAB is built this year, an injury or foul trouble, it could really you know, steer them off course. And when Hakeem Baxter, who is just the, the lifeblood and the heartbeat of this team defensively, by far one of uh, uh, the, the, the best defender on the team and one of the best on-ball defenders in Conference USA, when he went down a couple minutes in, 
Um, he hyperextended his knee, which is his, his status is uncertain. When he went down, it changed everything. Um, their two guard, his, his name escapes me right now. We spoke about him earlier, but I've, I've kind of erased that game from my brain. He went for over 30 points. Eric Nottage. Which, you know, yeah, Eric Nottage. He had no business doing that against UAB. And even with Hakeem out, um, our bigs just did a really poor job of, of, of when he did shoot his blow-bys up, up on the key. They did a poor job at help defense, and they, they just kind of were, were passive all night. Maybe they were concerned about Hakeem, you know, coming back. Uh, we, we kind of saw that a little bit after Nick got injured where the, the team was a little shell-shocked. But all's not lost. They can make um, you know, they can make up the lost ground on Middle Tennessee this weekend. Excuse me, this week if they can beat La Tech and if uh, possibly La Tech can beat Middle Tennessee. But they're, they're still in the hunt. Uh, William Lee needs to get back to to where he was you know, the, the prior three games before FIU. He needs to be really, really. Um, running the show and insisting on getting the ball and insisting on, on driving to the basket. But um, I'm, I'm not giving up on them. I mean, why, why would I give up on them? But I will say that was one of the – that loss was against one of the worst teams I've ever seen Florida Internet – I've ever seen UAB lose to, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I got a chance to – I talked about FIU last week, and I just said there was – without Nadia, there's really no hope. And still, I, I mean, he had a great night, but – like you mentioned, that's not going to happen. He's a great scorer. I mean, Eric Nottage is, is a tremendous scorer, you know, one of the top scorers on that team. He is the top scorer on that team, but definitely not something that, that you're going to expect kind of week in, week out the rest of the way from FIU. But definitely talking about, you know, the injuries to UAD, how, how does how UAD kind of overcome that? Is there any way to overcome that? Is it an adjustment that the Rob father has to make, or, or is it just something that the kids are going to have to find in between themselves? They're going to get some um, – let's assume Hakeem Baxter's out. What they're going to need to do going forward is just get some games underneath them. Um, you've got behind him, as far as on-ball on, on guard defenders, you've got J.B. Williams, the freshman, who's shown some really, really good moments. You, you, you sort of got Dirk Williams, which he's long, but he's not really a great defender. But um, they just need to get some games underneath them. It's going to be kind of like how it was after Nick. You need – you need three or four games to kind of get used to your new lineup. But he, if he is back, which I get the feeling that he is, he's one of those Philly tough dudes. That I mean, I mean, he might. Have, I mean, you you break his leg and he'll beat you with it, kind of guy. So, um, and, and also you got Dion Lavender. That is one, and I, and I forgot to mention him. That's one bright moment from the loss. Dion um, had his his all time uh, scoring uh, night at uh, at four UAB. Granted, he's only been there for a season. But he's been averaging double digits in Conference USA play, and he's kind of a, a second coming of Robert Brown kind of player. He's a fantastic two guard, and, he, and by season's end, he, he, I mean, he may relegate Dirk Williams to the bench. He's been playing that well. I did read that article that you put on. It's a really great comparison. So moving along here for, as we wrap up our week four review, we're going to bring in Mark Adams. Mark Adams, as you guys know, if you follow him on Twitter, he is the – uh, college basketball analyst on ESPN. He's the lead national college basketball analyst on American Sports Network. Mark, you on the line with us? What's going on, man? Yeah, how you guys doing? Oh, doing great, man. Great. Great weather down here in Alabama for January. It's um, it's uh, I think it was almost seventy degrees today, so you can't complain down here. 
Heck no. Well, that's good. It's a little different where I'm at right now. <laughs> no doubt about it. So, Margo, I wanted to pick your brain. Well, obviously, we're going to talk some conference USA basketball. You're a big-time college basketball watcher. Uh, you know, you talk about it, you tweet about it, you're watching it. There's something that's really bugging me when I'm watching these college basketball games, and maybe particular to UCF, like I explained to Dave, this new rule that, that, that college basketball has kind of integrated with this staining position on the post. I see UTEP big man Matt Wilms continually picking up these cheap fouls. A couple of UTEP's big men. I know not everybody plays through the post like in the old school days, but do you see that being a problem? Or what is your take on that rule? Because I remember as a kid, you know, I'm a big guy, so I was always opposed, and they would tell me, you put your ass in the body's you know, pelvis and drive. Are you seeing that affecting the game as I'm seeing it affect teams that I've particularly watched, or am I just kind of off the grid on that? Well, uh, you know, what I ran into a, a college basketball official today in the airport, I was flying to Oleon, New York, flying to Buffalo, and then I'm in Oleon, New York right now, and I probably talk to basketball officials as much as any analyst in the country because before every game, I go out, I visit with them, I talk to them, ask them to come over and, you know, help me out if there's, if there's a weird call. And, and, and I also ask them about maybe uh, rule interpretations and things like that. Here's, here's the problem I have with officiating today is that I think that we've worked so hard to legislate common sense and to make judgment policy-driven that we've, we've lost the opportunity for officials to interpret the game in, in a common sense way. And let me explain that. Because, you know, it used to be once upon a time there was, there was policy regarding the elbow rule. And so if you contact guy above the shoulders, that was a flagrant foul and then there was a flagrant one or flagrant two foul and then i mean there's all these other interpretations of this foul now to where it's changed completely once upon a time it was if you had your elbows out and you rotated your torso or your elbows faster than your torso then that was that showed intent so that you could be ejected for that i mean and, and you know it drives me crazy because i see all of these rules that are well-intentioned but i think they take away the judgment of an official and to me, it's real simple. If a defender gains an unfair advantage in some way, shape, or form, that's a foul. If, if, they're, if they're physical enough where they're gaining an unfair advantage, that's a foul. If an offensive player is being physical enough and gains an unfair advantage, that's a foul. And I don't understand why we have to have all of these explanations and reviews of monitors that slows the game down. I'm all for getting the call right. I understand there's times when you have to go to the monitor. But I saw a call this, this past weekend where uh, a guy, it might have been in the old Dominion-Charlotte game. I, I can't remember because I watched six games on Saturday. But there was a play where a guy's going down for a layup, and the defender comes around. And it's, it's a full-court situation. He kind of has his right hand on the, on the back of the, of the offensive player, comes to his left hand and jars the ball loose, and they call a flagrant one foul on the guy. And, and he was playing the ball the whole time, you know. And then, and then they choose when and if they're going to interpret rules, like the old Dominion-Charlotte game where there's a fight, and only head coaches can come on the floor. Only head coaches can come on the floor as peacemakers. Old Dominion, an assistant coach who was well-intentioned now, he wasn't trying to hurt anybody or mess up anything or, or get into a fight with anybody, but he left the bench area. Guys, that's a technical foul by rule. I don't care what he's there for. You can't bring another body in that situation. But the officials chose to eject three players, 
And the, and the assistant coach didn't get, get, didn't get a, a bench technical foul. It would have actually gone to the head coach by rule. But that's the thing that bothers me. It's not so much what they call, what they don't call. It's that the people who make the decisions about the rules and then decide who's going to work in the NCAA tournament put these guys in position to interpret and enforce these rules in a way, to me, that doesn't have common sense behind it. That's my, that's my complaint about officiating today. Well said. I've heard someone say the exact same thing. Yeah, Alex, that's a fantastic question. I, and I wanted to jump in because I was so eager to respond to it. Uh, but you, you elaborate on – I was actually going to mention something about Tim Floyd, but you, you, you go ahead and, uh, and uh, give your uh, Tim Floyd bet. No, no, I, I just want to say, I mean, he, honestly, that's exactly what Tim Floyd's saying. I think a lot of college basketball coaches are saying, and I think that's, you know, coming from an analyst, that's definitely on point, and, and that's really kind of what I was thinking, too. It just seems like there's too many explanations about that, and, and Mark definitely hit it right on the head. So jump into your question, Dave. We can move on. Yeah, to, to, to lead into Conference USA uh, conversation, and, and thank you for coming on, Mark. This is Dave from the, the Daily Dragon. It, it, it means a lot to me because I respect you and uh, I look up to, uh, to, to to your commentary on the game in general. Um, the, the, you, you have, you have uh, some good relationships with some of the current Conference USA uh, coaches, and by good relationships, I mean longstanding. Kermit Davis is one of them. In your opinion, what has he done? Is, is, has it been the type of player or is it the type of system he's running? What is making that program, you know, year in, year out, be in the conversation for not only the Conference USA championship, but, you know, NCAA tournament appearances? Well, and you're right. I have known Kermit for a long time. I knew Kermit when he was the youngest head coach in the country, when he was coaching at Idaho, and, and have watched his career all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and Kermit's had all of it. And he's been able to bounce back now, and this is all part of the, the good and great. And I'm happy for Kermit because Kermit's a good person. And when you look at, at his career, the one thing that he's always hung his hat on is just tough, gritty, half-court, man-to-man defense. You know, he's a Tim Floyd guy, Larry Eustace, I mean, all those guys – the one thing that they all have in common is that they've, they've always been really good defensive technicians. That being said, though, Kermit also has always known uh, wh- where he is and who he is. And at Middle Tennessee State, you know, you're going to – when you go out and recruit, you have to find specific types of players that fit how, how Kermit coaches. And he's hired really good assistant coaches along the way. I think that's an underrated part of, of head coaches, by the way, as far as the type of assistant coaches that they hire. And Kermit has always had experienced guys that have a lot of connections. And, you know, they fly below the, the radar a little bit. They'll find a junior college guy. They'll find a transfer guy. They'll get a freshman guy that comes along. Kermit's always been a guy that's been able to mix and match all of the markets of recruiting in college basketball and then bring it together, although they come from kind of disparate places like a Giddy Potts, like a Reggie Upshaw, like a Ja'Cory Williams. But once it all comes together, he's a master. This is where he's brilliant. He's a master taking all of what, what might seem to be disparate parts and bring them together toward that common goal. Uh, he knows how to coach. He knows how to develop relationships. You know, when, when you speak to Kermit Davis, he's fully engaged with you. He's there. He's present. And, and players appreciate that, and they like that. They like playing for him. 
And I think he's been able to meld, you know, the experiences that he's had, again, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the ability to, to attract assistant coaches who hit different marketplaces in the recruiting process, and then bring those different types of personalities and people and even levels of players from, from Division I transfers to junior college guys to high school guys and meld that together into a, into a team that works. He's brilliant at what he does. I really admire what he does. Mark Adams, National College Basketball Analyst for American Sports Network and ESPN, joins us here on the CUSA Hoopcast. Mark, CUSA over the past couple of years has been really, really top-heavy with some legitimate teams that – probably got unjustly whether it was right or wrong, they should have been in the NCAA tournament. But do you feel that the conference is in fact moving toward becoming possibly a deeper league where let's say seven or eight teams maybe crack that top 100, top 150, just to kind of raise that profile? Do you feel the conference is trending in that or are they still a little bit behind? You know, I, I really thought this year that the conference had a chance to be a multi-bid conference because uh, I still believe this. If UAB stays healthy, uh, I'm, I'm not sure we'd be having the same conversation tonight about Conference USA being maybe a one-bid league. Now, listen, Middle Tennessee is not out of the woods as far as an at-large if they happen to not win Conference USA. But, but I, I do think right now, looking at it objectively, you're looking at probably a one-bid league. And so with, with UAB, with what they had returning, I looked at them. And then you look at a team like Louisiana Tech. You know, Daquan Bracey is a really good freshman point guard. I mean, he's been a good addition yeah. to that team. With Eric, with Eric McCree back, you know, that, that's a team that, that has enough talent and length and athleticism. And, and Eric Kunkel, a really talented young head coach. You know, Marshall, with the way they play, they get hot like they did the other night. I mean, did you see Marshall mm-hmm. the other night against Western Kentucky in the second half? I mean, holy Extraordinary. God. It was Oh, yeah, it was just an avalanche of threes, you know. And so they get hot, you know. They, they can beat a, a lot of good teams. Old Dominion is another program. You know, under Blaine Taylor, Old Dominion was a 25-win win program. And Jeff Jones now, with the Stiff Brothers and the way that he's been able to recruit, I mean, that's a program that's on the upswing. UTEP has been down this year, but they're recovering now. They're 3-3 three and three right now in the conference. I think, I think Rice is better, certainly, than what they've been in the past. Mark Price at Charlotte seems to be getting better players along the way. And listen, Western Kentucky, who's 9-11 and 3-4, and but in Rick Stansbury's first year, he's definitely making a splash on the recruiting front. He's upping the ante from a recruiting point of view. So those are mm-hmm. programs that I see that are, that are very much on the rise. And Western Kentucky's down this year. There's a good reason for that. But they're not going to be down for long. And so I think the Conference USA could work themselves into a you know, like a two-bid league type of thing. And it could have happened this year if not for the injuries to UAB, in particular Nick Norton. You just heard Mark Adams bless us with his college basketball knowledge here on the CUSA Hoopcats. Check him out on Twitter, at Enthusiadams on Twitter. Also check out his work over at americansportsnet.com. Great analyst. He's the voice of mid-majors, in my opinion. And, Mark, I want to thank you so much for giving us a couple of minutes of your time. Appreciate it, man. Have a safe travel where you're headed to this weekend for the games and hope to have you on soon again, man. My pleasure, guys, and keep up the great work and, and keep the faith for those Blazers. You never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. There you have it, Mark Adams, at Enthusiasm hey, on Twitter. Good. Check him out, man. 
great college basketball follow, great college basketball analyst. And, you, you know, I, I, honestly, my biggest takeaway, what he said when he was talking about Kermit Davis and how he's able to adapt, and that's always something that, that's been kind of – I've been intrigued by Kermit because no matter what, ever since Conference USA – He's raised that level, and he's been able to grab those type of guys. And not only that mix of Juco guys, but he's been able to mix them into, I mean, a couple of years ago and even into this year, what, 9, 10, 11-man rotations where everybody is playing equal minutes, and, and there's segments where you see five in, five out, four in, four out. I mean, that, I, I, that was kind of blown away, and he – Brought it to the T. I hope Middle Tennessee State fans can really, really appreciate that because that was damn good info by Mark on that hey, on, on that Kermit Davis question, man. Dude, he's so good. <laughs> I was like, I was geeking out a little bit the whole time, and because <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad my, my my daughter in the background wasn't like breaking something because I'm like I'm so dialed in to listening to him, especially in the beginning with um the, you know just discussing his opinions on the way that basketball is uh, being refereed and things like that. I mean, that's one of those kind of guys you just want to bump into at a hotel bar and have a scotch with and just, you know, just listen to his stories, you know? I mean, he made a great point about the college basketball officiating, and that's something that I've heard Tim Floyd say. It's almost verbatim what he said about, you know, interpreting these rules, interpreting policy to judgment. And it does seem like they're taking the judgment out of college basketball. And that's a bad thing. Personally, and I'm coming at this angle for people to watch college basketball, not so much the outcome of the game, but who wants to sit there and watch a team get into the bonus in the first seven minutes of a half and shoot free throws the rest of the way. I mean, that, that, that kills the game. And that's why – and I, next time we got him, I want to get his take on, on what does he think about college basketball going into four quarters and instituting, you know, a five, six-man, you know, bonus – or five-man yeah. bonus. Yeah. But definitely, definitely good stuff there for Mark and, and really hope that we can get him on here again. Uh, but moving along, uh, moving on to next week, uh, kind of browsing over, obviously, Thursday. I, I'm going to let you take this one away because this – uh, that Birmingham is going to be should be on fire for this. One. I know y'all are down, but that Louisiana Tech UAB matchup on Thursday is straight flame emojis, my man. It's going to be grown man basketball. It's going to be played in the paint primarily, in my opinion, it's the way these two teams match up. It's going to be Omar Sherman, who's really come along lately, had, had some really good games for La Tech of late, and it's really been a difference maker for them when he's playing well. It's going to be Omar Sherman and Eric McCree versus William Lee, Coakley, and Mahenty. It's going to be grown man ball. I mean, it's by far the, the headliner of the Thursday slate, and it's a late game. It's 8 p.m. Central yeah. time in Birmingham, and so hopefully we'll get, you know, uh, get some fans out that have been um, well lubricated at the local breweries, and we can, and, um, we can uh, you know, have, have a rowdy fan base, but – UAB and La Tech have a little bit of, a, of, a, of an interesting relationship since they've been in the, the, the conference together. Uh, Tech swept them uh, a couple times to start off, a couple seasons, and then UAB got them uh, um, the past two times in Birmingham, uh, one being uh, at Bartow and then the other being at, at the conference tournament. And um, we, we, we've just you know, fared well against them in Birmingham of late since, you know, Hoff going into Ethan. Uh, since these, these, this, this group of players have come into play, we've kind of, you know, played a little bit better than they have in most games. 
So I'm interested to see what happens. I mean, this is your two-seed battle right here, in my opinion. Whoever wins this mm-hmm. game, it, it has a straight-line course to get to two-seed. So. But um, it, there are some other good games on Thursday. ODU-Rice, I mean, that's a rematch. You know, Rice beat them in Norfolk. Um, uh, what do you think about that UTEP going over to, um, you know, the, the, the hill in, in uh, Bowling Green? I think that's the second biggest game, and, and, and re- the only reason why is because it, it's going to tell – I think it's going to traject which way UTEP or Western Kentucky goes. Now, I know it's, you know, that's a Thursday game. There's always Saturday. But Western Kentucky has been kind of just hanging out in the middle. You know, they've been hanging in the middle of the pack pretty much all year. And UTEP all of a sudden has played – and I'm not going to sit here and say that UTEP is red hot or playing well – they played shitty teams. Let's just put that out there. I mean, FAU and FIU, yes. don't disrespect guys. UTEP is in that same mold. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here. But, you know, that, that, those are three bad teams that played each other. And then UTSA is another team I was talking about earlier that is, 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 is struggling with their offense right now. And they're not a complete team. So UTEP's been has, – has really been helped out because of their schedule. Three at home, three games you expect them to win. They take care of business. You know, UTEP team isn't going to blow anybody out by 20, even though they did with UTSA, but I did explain that one. But I just feel like this game can, can, can kind of be a tone setter three to the rest of the weekend and the rest of the season. UTEP has a daunting schedule ahead of them. After this uh, this old uh, this uh, Western Kentucky Marshall swing, they got the UAB middle swing at home. And after that, I think it's, it's, yeah. it's the uh, the Southern Swing with Southern Miss and, and Louisiana Tech. So this is an important string for UTEP. So this game is really, really important. And also for West Kentucky, they've dealt with some with, with some attrition. They're three and four right now in conference. They're kind of teetering. Talking, we talked about teams on the rope earlier or on the ropes. I really think Western Kentucky is on the ropes, and I think this game could probably dictate. Uh, you know, where either team kind of falls going forward, particularly on Saturday. And just a note for UTEP, you know, that is the most daunting logistics road trip for any Conference USA team when UTEP has to go to the hill, like you mentioned, where it's, you fly. I don't know exactly where you fly into, but you take bus rides, and after you leave uh, Bowling Green, you, yeah, you, you, you go, you take a bus to, to uh, Huntington or West Virginia, but UTEP is chartering. This is the first time UTEP has, has ever chartered, and so that could possibly play into a rest factor for UTEP. Time will tell, but just definitely something uh, different to look at. Now, another game that I really like, we haven't touched that, and I want to get your take, like Mark brought up, uh, Marshall's just ridiculous three-point uh, output that they put. Now, we know they're capable of that. We haven't seen that too consistently this year, but UTSA, they're coming in reeling. You know, they, they just couldn't buy a shot in El Paso, not even with a fucking vessel out there in, in El Paso. Well, how do you see UTSA in, in, in this market? Both teams really, really need this win. Marshall more so just to keep up with the top four seed and UTSA just to keep that confidence of a strong start going. Marshall's not losing in Huntington until UAB and uh, Middle come into town in February. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Uh, that the the Cam Henderson Center is one of the most, most probably the most underrated arena in USA basketball right now. It's 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 shaped or or I guess you could say it's um it's built kind of like UTSA's but it's a little bigger where the the ends are just walls. You don't sit behind the goalpost, but it gets rowdy. Those country folks, those hillbillies, they they get after it. 
and they're not they're not going to lose into any to any of these lower tier or middle tier USA teams at home this year. It's just not going to happen. They're too too good of shooters. Uh, they they love that gym. They shoot well in that gym. UAB and Middle Tennessee are probably the only two teams that could beat them there. Moving on to the Saturday slate, a couple of early afternoon games, Old Dominion at North Texas, UTSA, Western Kentucky, uh, Marshall and UTEP in the afternoon, Southern Miss and UAB later at night, and then in H-Town, Charlotte visits Rice. Now, I did leave out one game because that is the sexiest game. Probably it depends on how that Thursday game goes with Louisiana Tech, UAB. But this Louisiana Tech-Middle Tennessee game is going to be, like mm. you mentioned, how UAB is going to be grown man basketball. I mean, grown-ass men basketball. This is a tough string for Louisiana Tech. Now, I'm not going to ask you particularly about this game, but overall, do you think as Louisiana Tech has played, and you take away that UTSA loss, this team could be on an eight-game winning streak. And we mentioned how well is Bracey has been playing. Do they come in? Do they pick up their ball stats and go in there and, and play up to the potential that they have? Or is this UAB Middle Tennessee swing, is this kind of get one and be happy and split for, for Louisiana Tech? Yeah, Law Tech would be lucky to split this. They're not going to win both. And the main reason why is, and this is no knock on Law Tech, uh, like, well, I guess it kind of is. They, they don't have a lot of depth. Let's be completely honest. They're about seven, eight deep of competitive Conference USA top-tier basketball players. And when you face a UAB and you face a Middle Tennessee who have 10 deep, you know, borderline 11 deep of, of really good basketball players that are at a high level, uh, it's just really hard to beat those kind of teams on the road. You have to have a really, really special effort uh, from, you know, one or two players. And, and that's possible that – that um Eric McCree or Boykins can can get hot in one of those two games, but I just you know I I I, I love LaTeX being great and I, and I and I really enjoy watching them play and I support <laughs> them being a good team, but there's no way in hell that they sweep this road series. No one sweeps this road series. It's just it's just a gauntlet. You just pray to God you can win one of the two. Looking at UAB and Southern Miss has kind of. They played up to some teams lately, and, and you mentioned last week UAB's you know lost to FIU. Should UAB, if they take care of business on against La Tech, which would be a really emotional win, could Southern Miss or could UAB possibly be on upset alert against Southern Miss, or do you think a win against Louisiana Tech going into Saturday is a remedy to kind of get UAB back to where they were just a week ago? Oh, no doubt. I would I'd put them on upset alert no matter what happens on Thursday because Southern Miss is is, is starting to be you know Old Dominion 2.0. They're they're playing so aggressively defensively and they're and they're shutting down so many things and it's it's not you know because they have extraordinary athletes. It's just because the the way that Doc Sadler's making them play because he knows what he has. So they're going to keep it close, and if you, it's going to be a Saturday night, and there's probably not going to be a ton of people there because attendance has not been fantastic this year at UAB. Um, I, I think it's going to be a close game no matter what we do against LaTeX. Now, if we beat them by 40, well, I'll be psyched. Hell yeah, I'll be psyched, and I'll post some really awesome gifts from the Twitter and, uh, and give Southern Miss <laughs> fans a lot of hell because they still are our rival. They are our closest Conference USA rival. Well, actually, that's not true. Middle's closer. But they're our oldest Conference USA rival. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm putting us on upset alert for sure. But, hell, we haven't lost a Conference USA game at home 
and since 2015, like like early, like late 2015. So it's been a long time since we lost at home, and I'm not picking against us for a while. Particularly at the crib. So your TV streaming options for this weekend on Thursday, Middle Tennessee Southern Miss on ESPN. Campus Insiders will stream that Rice Old Dominion again. These are Thursday games. UTEP Western Kentucky will be on BN Sports and Louisiana Tech UAB will be on American Sports Network. Saturday, you only have two games for options in terms of non CUSA TV. Fox, uh, Sports, Fox College Sports will have UTSA, West Kentucky, 3 o'clock Central, and then Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee will be on ESPN 3, 5 o'clock Central. So another week in the books, another week, uh, kind of a light week this week, but definitely, like you mentioned, there's that Middle Tennessee UAB swing, whoever has that, and that's Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss, they draw that one. So those are definitely going to be the games to watch. Dave, as we wrap up, number eight, of the CUSA podcast episode number eight. What you got, man? Anything to end this thing out? Man, the Ocho number eight is a good one. I, I like I like having these guests. This is something that we're going to continue to do going forward. Uh, we have the goal or the vision to you know get beat writers in as they'll respond to my Twitter messages, which a couple haven't. Who I'm calling out, the dude from UCSA who never responded back to me. <laughs> Shit, I'm trying to give you some publicity. No one talks about your freaking program man anyway going forward we're going to continue to try to get beat writers and uh guests so yeah you you may get light loads where we can't go through every team like we do like to do some weeks um but um it's going to get it's going to get wild and it's going to get weird going forward and you got two good guys who love this conference and and um two guys that hate Tim Floyd so what what more can you ask for (laughs) god bless the conference USA So another week here in the books. I'm Alex Nicholas for my man, Dave West. Conference USA podcast episode eight is a wrap. We'll see y'all later. Deuce.